I just got one question for y'all. Are you ready yep. to rock? One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. Put your bad bags on. Hello and welcome to Chosen by Committee, you cool cats out there in Radioland. Uh, it's Josh Heron, and I'm joined by um, Christopher Munden and John Rosenberg as we read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play or musical written since 1918, so you don't have to, or still join us and read along with us. Tonight we are talking about 1955's uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof by Tennessee Williams. But before we get to that, my name is Josh Heron. I am, uh, I, I'm just a Yankee. Um, I, I am a theater critic and a third grade teacher, and I am joined by um, Big Daddy himself, Christopher London. <laughs> Back that ass up. <laughs> and uh, Big Mama, John Rosenberg. <laughs> you never fail to... <laughs> you never fail in introducing Chris. You haven't yet. <laughs> and I have Maggie the cat. Meow. Um, <laughs> and today we're talking about... Um, about a relative classic, um, maybe not quite as prolific as Streetcar Named Desire, but still a very well-known play. It's been revived many, many times, um, and is a very successful movie. Uh, John, would you like to summarize Cat on the Hot Tin Roof? Sure. Um, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof tells the story of a Southern family, and it's on the occasion of the... 65th birthday of a man affectionately known as Big Daddy. Big Daddy owns the largest plantation in, um, I'm just going to say in the South because I didn't catch which state it was, um, but uh, the most fertile land west of the Nile. It's referred to a number of times. And the people that uh, inhabit this world are his children and his wife and the uh, spouses of his two sons. So the play is really focused on the relationship between Brick, his uh, second born son, and Brick's wife, uh, Maggie. Right? I don't think it's his second wife. No, 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 his second born son. Oh, his younger son, yeah. And yeah, and I, what's Maggie's her name? Hat. Yeah, Maggie, Margaret, Margaret, and uh, so the play. The play is a three-act structure, and it uh, we get before. The, so the first act is before the birthday party. The second act is the lead up to the birthday party, and the third act is the birthday party. Um, and the play really revolves around uh, the personal relationship between Brick and his wife Maggie, and a disconnect that exists. Uh, Brick is a uh, alcoholic and he drinks a lot and Maggie in the play really tries to connect with him, emotes her feelings and it's a reveal play and uh, there is uh, 
something rotten between Brick and his wife. Namely, Brick had a best friend a, that uh, a very, very, very best friend. Right, a very, very best a friend. Very close uh, best friend. <laughs> just the kind of men that would look into each other's eyes and say it wasn't a normal friendship, as uh, as Brick says. Yeah, and deep, so deep, it was sort of, it's sort of like the connection that Chris and I share. Yes, I would say it is like that. Precisely. Um, the night before the play starts, Brick had broken his ankle running hurdles uh, drunkenly, and so he is hobbled throughout the play. Um, so we really follow... Brick is really the hero of the story, and we follow him as we learn more about his life and his relationship with his father. Uh, Big Daddy is waiting on the results of a cancer test, and... Uh, there's a lot of drama regarding that, and the play ends with uh, on a very, very happy note. I, a couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, I don't know if you what your version was, but my versions had two versions of the third act. One yeah. as it was, I guess he wrote it, and then one as it was revised for Broadway. I'm guessing that the Pulitzer was given to the revised third act. So they were pretty similar. They were. Um, they were. They're they're not that different. The ending is really different. And I, I sort of like the ending of the, the first one. Um, well, oh, so the first mind, one the first yeah, one do gives mind, uh, do, yeah. Do you mind explaining the two endings? Because the one I read only had one ending. I Who mean, had the last line in your ending? It was uh, Brick, I believe. Where, Brick or Maggie, said, one of the two. Brick said, "Wouldn't not? Wouldn't it be pretty to think so?" But something like yeah, that. Yeah, something so like the, that. That's yeah. the original ending. Or that, okay. was, that was like what he first wrote. I don't think that's what won the Pulitzer. I like the ending. So in that in that play, Brick's uh, Big Daddy is only in the second act, and in the revised version, they bring Big Daddy in. It, I mean, it's really minute differences, and I don't like. I think when you read them next to each other, you can sort of pull them apart. But I think if you saw two versions of it you know, years apart. Yeah, I've seen it, and I don't remember which one they did. I think they mostly do the revised version. Um, but that ending, so, but the, there's a really wonderful line in the original where uh, Maggie the Cat is saying, I love you so much, I, I love you, I love you, I love you, as, so Maggie the Cat has told Big Mama and Big Daddy that um, there's sort of like a King Lear thing going on. Big Daddy has cancer. The kids know that he has cancer. Um, the doctor in the movie make a big thing about how this is normal. Like this is this is good medical practice. But the doctor lies to Big Mama and Big Daddy that he doesn't have cancer. Um, but then the kids have to tell Big Mama that like that's a lie. That's just to make him feel better. But Goober, the the older son, is like fucking bloodthirsty for this plantation. Um, and, and this wife. Yeah. Um, and so they're really trying to like, they're trying to sort of curry favor. And one of the tools they use is that they have like six no neck children as Maggie calls them. <laughs> and Maggie and Brick have not yet had a child. And so the very end, they don't have sex um, because Brick is probably brokenhearted because his like gay lover died. Um, and Maggie slept with him. Um, but they don't have sex and but at the near the end of the play 
Maggie says that she's pregnant and then sort of like uses Brick's alcoholism in a really grotesque way to like inseminate herself. And so she tells him that she'll get him liquor if he like fucks her. Um, yeah, that's the version I read. Yeah. I mean, that, well, ended, happens that in both came in both. Uh, okay, got it, got it, got it. But there's a, in one version, she sort of is like saying like, you're so weak and pliable and I love you so much. And you're so, it's going to be great. And that, I think that line is in the original version, but then, you know, she says something like, I, I love you so much. I really, really do. And Brick says, wouldn't it be lovely to think so? Yeah, that, that was in the version I read. Which is just such yeah. a gutting last line. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if it was, if that was true? Oh. Which is something he said earlier. It made me, the, wouldn't it be pretty to think so is the last line of Sun Also Rises by Hemingway about the guy who has lost his genitalia in the war. Um, so I guess what surprised, I mean, one of the things that surprises me is I, the movie um, was made during the Hayes Code. So sort of all the references to Brick being gay are, are more oblique. Um, and I wouldn't say they're like, it's super in your face, but it's definitely a lot more clear in the play than it is in the movie. And I, I was sort of surprised by that, by how, frankly, Tennessee Williams is dealing with um, homosexuality, um, more so than even he does in Stricarium Desire. Uh, that, you know, and how, in either version in the second act, how it, it's, at least in this reading of it, the, so the father and son are having a talk and the dad wants to know why Rick is drinking. And he knows it's about this friendship with Skipper. And he, he's trying to like, I think, give his son a place to like say it and be okay with it. And the son like can't deal with it. Um, right. Talks about- he, he like freaks out and says, are you calling me queer? Um, but I, I actually sort of find it a pretty touching moment of like a father, like sort of ahead of its time of this father, like being able to like wrap his head around this identity. And I, and I don't know if that's Tennessee Williams, like <laughs> projecting some sort of like dreamy daddy fantasy. Um, but that seems sort of like anachronistic and crazy, I, you know, um, it is interesting though around that around that part though like that Rick makes reference to the fact that the old owners of the plantation were two men that used to sleep together in a double bed mm -hmm. um, and then also the father talks about when he was young that he would like ride the rails yeah, and he's, that, like, he's about to make a confession isn't he but I, I think yeah. what's interesting too is like there's this change in like notion though too um and not to get all like queer theory history of queerness, but like in the twenty, like there wasn't like an identity of like there were same sex like sex acts that have occurred for a long time, but there wasn't this idea of orientation or of like romantic love. Like that was, that's a very like twentieth century idea that you would be like oriented or queer or like have a that it would be something beyond like uh well like your a, actions a, a mental disorder or like a uh like yeah just the act itself and so i think it's interesting that williams does make that distinction 
right? Because I don't think the dad is saying, like, I think the dad mm. and Williams understands that, like, this thing that was going on with Skipper was not, like, I don't know, rubbing one out with some buddies in the in the train tracks, like, or that's what I imagine. Which Big Daddy did, right? Big Daddy yeah. definitely did. You know, and he says, like, yeah, I did it. But I think that, like, there was definitely a distinction being made that, like, that's not what was going on with Skipper. I mean, they well, they never, or at least Rick never confronted his identity in that way. No, but it seems like it's like this, it seems like it's, and maybe that that's is, what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Right, because if what you're saying is what Big Daddy is saying is like, look, you fuck around when you're young, that's fine. That's no problem. Because he... Because the dad has a line too. He's like, almost owning this property has made me more tolerant. They're yeah. like owning this. And it seems like the dad is like, it's okay to do that. And you just like move on or something. But it seems like the emotional toll of Skipper dying is the part that is troubling. I don't, I think there's even more. I think what he's saying is like, you have to accept yourself. Like, I don't right. think then you get, I don't think he's saying you have to get over like, I don't think he's making any. I think that Big Daddy is no. much more involved than. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Than I don't, I, sorry, I, I, I don't think Big Daddy was saying you have to get over it. I think what is troubling or surprising is seeing the emotional toll that this man's death has had on his son. Mm-hmm. And that is the troubling part. You know what I mean? Like, I think, th- I think he's trying to offer up a like. Yeah. Thing, like, you don't mean this. You don't know, like, how disgusting that would be. And I think the guy saying is like, I'm fucking old. I don't care what like the world says. Like right. you shouldn't care about that. You need to like live with yourself. Yeah. It's interesting that we haven't mentioned yet and we're not that far in, but um, I think Maggie is sort of the figure that like is sort of famously is like the famous central character in the play. Um, I mean, I think you you said it was Rick who was the protagonist. I I think you could play play it as Maggie as the protagonist. Oh, I think she's absolutely the protagonist. I mean, I think it's really interesting that you said Rick is the hero. The hero, absolutely. I absolutely feel like he's by design. I think he's designed as the hero. Absolutely. I mean, he is like a tragic. He is a truly tragic figure who makes like no like. If you want to talk about a character who makes like seemingly no growth and just like no, like I think by design, just sort of is in like permanent stasis. Um, like, well, the alcohol works right at the end. Click, it yeah. clicks. Which is a, an arc. No, no, but, but you see, to me, like, I'll just say real quick what is astonishing to me about this play is the structure of it. I don't think I've, I don't think we've seen before in one of these plays, which is time doesn't stop mm-hmm. or sorry, time doesn't jump like six months later, two days later, or anything like that. Like the play starts, there's two intermissions, but it, it, it just starts and then it just goes. And that, that to me was the most incredible thing about the play. Like it's Greek drama, isn't it? Do Greek dramas do that? I think Greek dramas do that. It's only like the Elizabethans, like Shakespearean times. Uh, I like... think I think Medea jumps around time. No, Medea is like something. It, it starts. 
yeah, it jumps forward in time. There's different places. If it was written in 2020, it would be a, it'd be a sweet hour, 50-minute play, no intermission. <laughs> you just sit there and strap in. But, but uh, I think to me, maybe the, beauty, the beauty of it is that, like, Williams creates these constraints of, like, he's, he doesn't move time, and he has to fit all of this into it. And, like... It's it's incredible to me, um, but I do. Yeah, I mean, it's and is it all because, in the bedroom? Yeah, it's all in the bedroom. It doesn't even move rooms. It's just like no, it doesn't even move rooms. And that is like that. That's it. It blew my mind that he was able to do it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I have a different take on it. Like with Maggie as the hero, I feel like I think the play is very hateful towards her. And like what she's after, um, yeah. But, but it has a ahead. sympathy towards her too. I don't think it does at all, because it. It's funny to me because like how I read it is like, I think if someone wrote this now, they would be like, "This is very troublesome." <laughs> like his characterization of this woman is very troublesome because like. Sure. But it, because what does she want? right like she talks all this shit about her sister-in-law and all these ugly fucking no-neck motherfucking kids and all this shit and at the end all she wants is a kid i mean i, she wants really a want, kid. I think she wants security and i think i think it's like kid gets her in the will gets her like she grew up poor she doesn't want to be poor Right, she feels like a cat on a hot tin roof. That's the whole point. And but she also wants to. She wants to fix him somehow. She feels guilt about the situation too, because she slept with, um, Skip. What's his name? Skipper. Skipper. Yeah. Skipper and. Suicide. Contributed to a suicide. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Rick never leaves the stage. We, you know, we're with him the whole fucking time, and like, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. I mean, I definitely want to hear what you guys feel about the play, but yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest thing is just the structure and what he was able to condense in all this time was incredible. Language is beautiful too, and I love reading him as like an experience of reading him he's his stage directions is like his commentary on this play the way he like i know in the version i had he he got meta about what a playwright can do with his characters in one like oh i saw yeah, yeah, yeah. Of someone's reaction uh, i don't know i really enjoy and i i there was this the act of reading his plays there was this confidence or this sort of like, I don't know if he does this in Streetcar or in other work, but with well, this Mama, is a more confident writer. With Big Mama, there's a couple of times where he says like, surprisingly she like, or like for unknown reason, she like, does, like it's like this woman is like real, right? Like he doesn't mm -hmm. even, he's like, I don't have the answer to why she does this thing, but like strangely she like, it, like grabs onto his breast or something. And it's like, I think so cool to have a writer who is such a fully formed like idea of a character and trust in 
the actors in the moment that like he doesn't need to supply that. Right, because it is a reveal play. Things get told. We learn. Big Daddy learns about his interests. Big Mama learns about Big Daddy's illness. But um, it's about the characters. It's it's not like real plot heavy. I was. I think it's it's. I don't know. I think it's pretty sympathetic to everyone. I mean, maybe not May and Cooper. I think they're sort of like no, all the kids. Yeah, Tennessee like, Williams probably wasn't a children first. Like, it's sort of amazing. I too, like. I think I like. I have a lot of like. I have a soft spot for Big Daddy, and he spends the second act talking about how he's like tired of like he. The biggest mistake he made was like being faithful to his wife, and he's gonna go hire a, like and this woman who's like so faithful to him and so kind. He's gonna like hire some prostitutes, and like it's somehow charming. Um, Big Mama is like just this is I think a really like. I don't even think it's a tragic character, but is like in some pretty tragic circumstances, but it is still a pretty strong character in her own right. Even with what I just shared about Big Daddy. I, I mean, Brick is sort of like a, a, a sad drunk, but I think there's a lot of like, I think the context that is built around him is really like beautiful. See, there's something, but there's something weird to me about the construction of Brick that doesn't, that just didn't add up to me. And I don't know if it's on purpose, is that he's so passive? I think you know that's on purpose. We're right, but, it, I think that's but it's weird. No, 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 I understand. But like, there's something weird of the pa- the passivity plus the drinking. Um, mm. that Williams doesn't explore the drinking at all. Like he doesn't he doesn't dive into that world whatsoever. I think it's interesting that like. What do you mean? There's no, it's interesting, like, I think by design, we don't get his interior life for some reason. I mean, I think you know, he's, there's, I think he's, he's fighting it, isn't it? I don't think he has it. Like, I, I think that, like, I think that he is totally cut off from it. And I, I think that, like, I think part of, sorry, this is like maybe a little bit extra textual, but the note, there's a, there's a little bit of an essay where Williams talks about what he change and why he changed it right and one of the notes was that like brick should have more of an arc and he says that like i don't think that's like that's not this play like this is not a play of brick fighting. no no, no. i'm not yeah but well, i'm not i'm not i'm not talking about arcs because i don't give a fuck about arcs there's like but it's a character who's fully detached from his inner life i th- i guess i guess what's strange to me is like how he's detached from it is like it's weird to me how he's detached from it what is interesting like you don't like well no no because to me by design him being so detached allows maggie to talk so much and explain so much in the first act and big daddy in the second act well see the the thing to me about the second act is i haven't I haven't read something like that. Like when that conversation started, it felt like quicksand to me, or it's like when you turn like the Pictionary timer. And I I knew that this was all going somewhere and I didn't know where it was going. And I just, it just went and it was really, really fucking beautiful, you know? Um, Yeah. 
I don't, I don't have a necessary point, but like, uh, yeah, the, the brick, the brick thing to me is weird. And like, nobody's that fucking detached or like, I don't know. The interesting thing to me about the drinking was that the click did come. I kind of, does that make sense? Like it still works. There is a point where it clicks and there's a, there's a type of, of drinking where it no longer comes. Mm. And, and I thought that's where he was going to go. Yeah. I mean, it plays a lot of like before, right? Like it's before, it's before this guy dies. It's before Rick's hit bottom. It's before like, you know, I mean, it's before he has a kid because this is basically what <laughs> this is what happens before the getting bottom. I God, I would love for there to be some like bad theater nerd amateur porno. It's like Rick and Skipper's Wild Night. Oh. So let's let, you let's talk write the about preview, Josh. Let, let's talk about that because I think what's interesting is in like a street crime named Desire, it's interesting that both plays have this like confessional moment of explaining what happens, right? That haunts, like, that haunts the characters and the suicide. Right. Yeah. There's also um, definitely last or something last summer, which is another like that is a that is a theme. Mm-hmm. Right, but so in in Streetcar, if I remember correctly, it's like she confronts him while they're dancing is like, I know your secret or whatever. And he runs outside and like shoots himself. Right. Oh yeah. In the past. Right. 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 In this play, what happened is Skipper and brick have a relationship that is beyond friendship, beyond brotherhood. I'm talking about from brick's perspective. I I mean, I think we don't know. I think there are a couple possibilities. I think if brick is the truth, Right. They had a they had a they had a emotionally charged friendship that existed, I would say, on the very borders of like nothing weird happening. Like I, I think that like it was this unspoken thing and I like I could believe that Brick and Skipper never like never did anything, never acknowledged anything, but like just lived with this sort of like charge. Those touches right before they went to bed that he mentions that reach across the bed. But and yeah, Maggie, I think. And then Maggie speaks it. And then that like blows it all up. Or you could read, I think that might be a more interesting reading. Or you could read it that they were like they were gay lovers or anywhere in between. And Maggie mm-hmm. exposes it and like. Right. I, I think there's like I think all are plausible readings. Right. I guess I guess it's more stunning if the idea is that like Brick just didn't have a name for it until like Skipper confessed it on the phone before yeah. he killed himself or died. Right. And that has left him emotionally just wrecked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was my reading. It's a good play. Yeah, it's a good play. I I, I prefer it to. I think Black yeah, Mercury is still my favorite. Mm-hmm. 
but I definitely prefer this to Streetcar. I definitely prefer uh, this to Streetcar Named Desire, without a doubt. I think Streetcar is better constructed, and I like Blanche more, maybe. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, and Stanley, those are great characters. Those are great characters, but what this dude did, like, as a play, I'm telling you, like, starting, starting time and then never fucking with time is impossible. That shit is impossible. It's also, like, this play feels more, um, I mean, it's very Southern in the way that, like, but the relationship between, like, the, tox- the toxicity of the relationship between Maggie and Brick, um, I think, really foreshadows, like, Edward Albee, in a way. Um, well, it's also Edward beautiful. But it's also beautiful that, because I thought about this after the play, and I was like, Jesus Christ, everyone talks fucking shit about either you know everyone's relation it's like uh, big daddy says terrible shit about his wife just terrible fucking shit um like all of them say such terrible fucking shit and yet at the end it's like (laughs) she's gonna get pregnant (laughs) it's beautiful you know and it's like yeah oh um, Interesting for the Pulitzers, the committee. This is one that shouldn't have won. Like the jury, the Pulitzer jury picked maybe another play or couldn't decide between two. And like the head of the Pulitzers had seen this play and was like, "No, <laughs> You're giving, oh, really? we're giving it to Cat on a Hot Tin Roof." Was it the Crucible yet? Uh, the Crucible was the was been by the uh, the Inge play. Wow. Yeah. Because um because they hate communists so. I'm trying to see when the um this was I forget who it was. Um oh this is they the, were this was the same year as wow, interesting. Um Bus Stop. So it was the same year as Bus Stop and the Diary of Anne Frank. It, and at least in the same season, but they were separate like it mm. kind of haunted roof lost the Tony to Diary of Anne Frank, but then we're going to read Diary of it, but Diary of Anne Frank when the Pulitzer the next year. Yeah, that happens a couple times, it seems, but the, it's not the same period of time. Um, so it was The Flower and Peach by Clifford Odets was the one that the jury picked. I don't know. We talked about Odette's in a previous conversation, but... Yeah, he's a snitch. Oh, right. That's why they picked him. And he did Awake and Sing, right? Yeah. Oh. Um, so what play would that have been? That would have been The Flowering Peach. Oh, what a name. Yeah. And it's a modern story of the Noah and the Ark. Oh, oh that sounds terrible. Yeah, great. I'm... Good job. It was Joseph Pulitzer Jr. who had seen Canon the Hot Tin Roof. Well, and he's so, the one who persuaded them to give so it. So, can both of you give me your own interpretation of what a cat on a hot tin roof is? I think it's like a hmm. nervous, tensed up, like, and like ready to pounce 
Uh-huh. My, but like sort of paralyzed too. Before meeting this, and I had the idea that it was um, like it couldn't put its feet down. Basically, it, it like it was like a cat walking across a hot tin roof, and like like um, you're walking on hot coals, like you're never comfortable. But that's not exactly what it seemed. Maggie was saying she was like the cat is laying on the hot tin roof, which. But, but I it, guess it also it's made southern, me. It's a southern phrase. That means just someone means, being on edge. Yeah. Okay. But is it possible for Maggie to never be that? That's just who she is, right? She probably wouldn't be comfortable with security. Uh, maybe not. I mean, she married a uh, brick. And she was so insecure about it, she fucked his best friend. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that that Big Daddy says that May and Maggie, May being like Dooper's wife and Maggie are like the same person or the same type of people. Brick doesn't push back against that, but it seems like Williams does. He feels differently about Maggie, for sure. Who does? The playwright. I don't know, man. I think you give. I think you give her flat out too much credit. I think the beauty to me is like there's a hole in the soul of each one of these fucking characters, and it's just like mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful that Williams doesn't try to fill any of the holes, and he doesn't try to explain the holes. Yeah, yeah. Where is that line about? Well, Chris, which is that? I would obviously be Dixie. Brick. I'd be Brick. I love you. (laughs) Skipper. You'd be Skipper. Oh my God. That's my dream production in which, like, Skipper comes out during intermission. You're Skipper's ghost. Yeah. And I'm in, like, a lot. I'm in, like, hat. I'm in, like, sex. There are flashbacks. So who is in the movie version? Was it Paul Newman? Elizabeth and Taylor. Taylor. So good. Maybe that's Elizabeth why I like, uh, Maggie so much. It's Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman though, right? Yeah. Huh. I've ne- yeah, I've never seen the movie. Huh. Oh, it's great. Um, it also and Orson like Welles is Big Daddy, right? Who is? Orson Welles. He might be. That doesn't sound wrong. That's who I cast. No. I'm thinking of some other bad movie that was Long Hot Summer. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Long Hot Summer. Right, Paul Newman is in that too. Um, Who would you be? John would be Gooper. There you go. I think Chris would be Gooper. (laughs) <laughs> or May. <laughs> or you could be the reverend. When you talk about the reverend who's like sell like trying to get like a air conditioning unit for his church. Yeah. That's bad. The doctor. Um servants. Did you find it's a lot? Um I mean it's it's a long talk about what the play is about. Um He's like, I'm not, it's like, 
uh, it's like the bird that I hope to catch in the net of this play is not the solution of one man's psychological problem. I'm trying to catch a true quality of experience in a group of people, that cloudy, flickering, effervescent, fiercely charged interplay of live human beings in the thundercloud of a common crisis. Some mystery should be left in the revelation of character in a play. Mm. But a great deal of mystery is always left in the revelation of character in life, even to oneself. Yeah, I think I think it is interesting, like looking at the other plays, you know, with like uh, with what's his name that was so fucking specific in um, Miller. Yeah, Miller's so so, so specific about reactions how characters deliver lines and this one at times is uh gives direction but really really leaves it open to interpretation in such a beautiful way yeah that direction was where miller would say he like or a playwright would say she says sadly williams like goes on this thing about how we could never really know a person's character how even that person is hiding it from himself i love that as like a it's like a note. It's beautiful. Well, next week, we, as I said, are reading The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, so I guess I should take this time to revive our old favorite game, What Do We Think the Play's About? <laughs> uh, um, I also wanted to say that this last week, um, we got a lot, like, I think we had the busiest week, like, fr Black Friday, or no, I guess it wasn't Black Friday, like, Friday we had, like, 40 streams, I think someone maybe listened to our whole podcast, uh, which, like, I'm sorry, I guess, but also thank you, um, so if you're the person from Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> or Athens, um, Tennessee, what's up, um, drop us a line at chosenbycommittee at gmail.com, we'd love to hear from you, um, and hear what you think. Um, I was also, I've been watching a lot of Criterion channel and so there's like a bunch of Criterion podcasts that I was like oh maybe like I'll subscribe to five of these one of them will be good God, we're doing a, we do a good job these podcasts were bad like really bad so we're not bad <laughs> we're just bad Oh, good. Um, so, Josh, is there is there anything more you want to capture about um, about this play? I think I'm, I think we're good. I, I feel very, um, you know, I'm not like uh, I, I think I've come to a place where I don't think we're gonna we're reading such great things. Even the things that we're not reading are like I was really. I think you can't hope to encapsulate everything about a play right. at a moment, but I think I'm just thrilled with the conversations we have. Right. You said it surprised you the like treatment of homosexuality. Do you have any insight in how it's like how it's placed in kind of like queer history? Well, I was, um, you know, I don't. I think it's. I think Williams is like a like a queer icon and a queer figure. Um, I, you know, I don't think he gets included in play. Like, like we think of like queer i mean I, yeah it definitely is there um you know i i think of like boys in the band and um 
the children's hour and you know i think plays that are like mm. a little bit more central like even more central with it um but i know and and there are like other plays ego po did um a short play last season fringe that was announcing the sad songs of dead queens or something like, uh, right. about, yeah. like uh and like sing stories of the death of yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's a twist on a quote from Richard II. Um, and I think there's he was more explicit, you know, about not characters that are like grappling with a part of their identity, but like characters who are explicitly living queer lives. Um, you know, and right. Think, and these plays are more like we see the reactions to the lives. It's like queerness as wound, not like queerness as like something that have yet to be able to be explored. Um, yeah. Uh, but as the as the card-carrying homosexual of uh, the podcast, thumbs up. I like this play a lot. Um, I like Williams. And you're also Jewish, so you'll love next week, too. Yeah, and I'm going to give you a... Yeah, as the card-carrying uh, member of the tribe, I will be able to talk about... And as a National Youth Theater award nominated performance as Otto Frank in 2007's junior theater production of Diary of Anne Frank. I can also offer some insight. <laughs> nice. um, Christopher, is there anything like that you wanted to capture still about this play? Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot to talk about with this play. I feel like we could have had a whole different full conversation about it, but um, but I think we talked about some interesting stuff too. So I, for some reason, I'm just interested. Have both of you both of you seen this play done on stage? I have not. I would love you have seen it done it. on stage. You've seen it done on stage. It's probably like 20 years ago, though. Yeah, and I've seen the movie. But that was also a long time ago. I may rewatch a movie. I've not seen it on stage. I don't think. I mean, Why have you seen it on stage, John? No, I, I have. No, that's not true. I I saw it when I was a kid in Oregon, at like the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. But I was like six years old. I had no fucking idea what was happening. Yeah. You get it. You got it confused with Cats the Musical. <laughs> no, I saw that in London though. I. That I remember, yes. God, I would love, I want that. I want Cat on a Hot Tin Roof performed. Cats on a Hot Tin Roof. I want two things. I want Cat to be performed by people in costumes from this play. And I want Cat on a Hot Tin Roof to be performed by people wearing the cat, like unitards. Dream production. Oh. What is a dream production? I mean, beside the one where like I play brick and like haunt him with homoerotic. So I gotta say real quick, I'm, I probably shouldn't say all this, but I had this interesting interpretation of the play where they're talking about in the stage directions or in the in the set that there's no ceiling, right? Yeah, but they're on the ceiling fans. Right. Didn't he say I, both? He said like the stars are shining, but like I read, this, and yet there are ceiling fans. I read this play as like a really anti-woman blood sacrifice of a good man. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I think that's more about you. I think there's something to Josh doesn't like it when I say that sometimes it seems that gay writers hate women, but I don't. Oh no, no, no! I think that's. I think there's a thing there. Um, I think that like Tennessee Williams's relationship with women and with these like. I think that like these women, I think these women border on gay men um, in a way that like, I think Albie does this too, where like, I think there's like, there's like, pro I think, I think like Williams definitely does some processing via Blanche and Amanda and Maggie. Like, I, and I think that might be a little bit of self-hatred and that might be a little bit of misogyny. I have no problem with the fact that like, Gay men can be incredibly misogynistic. Um, all right. Yeah, do you think my sympathy for Maggie is Williams? Yes. Or oh, is I, mine? I, I'm sympathetic to, to Maggie. I don't think Williams is sympathetic to Maggie. Yeah, I think he is too. I mean, that was I don't also think he is. the note that Ezra Kazan, the Elliot Kazan note, the, it was give the father something to do, make Bridge, ha make Brick have an arc. And like, it's clear that you are sympathetic to this character, but you don't write it in a way where the audience can be. So I think that, like, I think if it's unsympathetic, I, might, I think based on the information we have, it might be that Williams was so enamored with her that he didn't realize he was writing someone that came off unpleasant. Um, but I find her really charming. And I think also maybe it's the Elizabeth Taylor performance in my yeah. mind. So, like, um, Sorry for sidebarring me. No, it's okay. I was just you, interested. You, you hate women. <laughs> Let's, uh, it was Bill Haley, Rock Around the Clock. It was. I thought it was way earlier. I thought it was like yeah, 1951. I'm so excited that we're in we're entering a phase of some good music. It's been a rough, rough road. Um, we have Lead Belly song. We've had some good songs. Yeah, some. Um, I also can't wait till we're like talking about like, I don't know, fences, and it's going to be like, I am the tiger. <laughs> um, okay, on that note, good night, folks. Good night, folks. Good night.